Well, I'm amped to be here, guys. I'm so glad you came. Romans 8 is where we're at. And I was thinking this morning, so our culture is as religious as any culture that has ever existed. You guys know that? Now, it's trendy to say you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs. It's cool to say I think everyone should be free to live how they choose, but contrary to what people say, modern America has countless spoken and unspoken rules and laws that are tied to morality and virtue and therefore are religious in nature. So just think of all the areas of life where we face, you face, increasing judgment and social pressure. Take food, for example. For most of history, we've had tons of rules around sex, very few around food. Today, that has completely reversed. We're laissez-faire about sex, but when it comes to food, you better count the calories, you better cut the portion, no trans fat, no gluten, no MSG, no GMO. If you want something sweet, you better not have sugar, but you better not have a sugar substitute because that's going to kill you, right? And you're like, I guess I'll go unsweetened today. Right? If you, I mean, man, I want breakfast, and it's like you want a cup of coffee, you better have fair trade. Right? You want some eggs, better be free range. Want some sausage, better be nitrate f- or hormone free. You want some bacon, no nitrate. Want some greens, better be organic. And it's not just about the food we eat. Now you're expected to know what kind of life the food lived before ending up on your plate. Right? Did it live in a cage? Was it pumped with hormones? Did it have access to a gym or not? Now, obviously, a lot of these things are good, right? I'm not, I'm not taking a stance on the validity of the rules. I just want to note the rules are there and we all feel them. How about the environment? You know, it wasn't long ago that when a hurricane came, so-called Christian preachers would stand up and say, this is due to your sin. Today, when a hurricane comes, secular prophets stand up and say, this is due to your carbon footprint. If you care at all about the environment, you should drive a hybrid, at least maybe a low emission vehicle. And if you don't, you are to blame for the hole in the ozone, deforestation, the plight of the polar bears, If you want a straw today, someone's going to come down on you with all of the judgment of an Old Testament prophet, right? People think, have traditionally thought that Christians are the the modern day Pharisees just sitting in the corner, taking notes, judging people. But when you look at the church today and the world, who's the one policing language now? Who's the one saying, if you don't agree with us, you should be shut down and thrown out? And again, my point is not taking a stance on this. I'm just saying everyone is religious. Everyone's a fundamentalist. Everyone lives under countless spoken and unspoken rules and laws. We feel this every morning you wake up. You should put some effort into how you look, but better not put too much effort into or you're going to look like you're kind of into yourself. We feel that. You better keep your social media account active or you'll be obsolete, but better not post too often or you're going to look desperate for attention, right? Don't spend your whole day on your phone or you're going to ignore those around you, but don't spend your whole day off your phone or you'll be ignoring those trying to get in touch with you. 
laws on laws on laws, rules on rules on rules. It's religious, y'all. It's religious. And that's not even to mention the people who roam this earth with a never-ending, omnipresent sense that they are complete and utter failures. Parents. Parents, we feel this. Parents everywhere feel immense pressure to feed their kids the right food, bring them to the right doctors, enroll them into the right schools. Moms especially, I have too many kids, I don't have enough kids, I should be nursing, I should use formula, my baby should be sleeping on his stomach, my baby's stomach will never touch anything ever, right? You should let your child cry it out or they will manipulate you for your whole life. If you let your child cry it out, they will develop a sense of abandonment issues and they will have attachment issues for their whole life. Parents, if you love your kids, you better do a home birth, actually go to the hospital, but no epidural. And as soon as you get home, crank up the baby Mozart and sign them up for piano lessons. Actually, that's gonna make them soft, get them into soccer. Well, that might mess with their um, ego a little bit. So we just live in pressures. We live in... um, rule-oriented, legalistic, religious society. This is the environment that we are encapsulated with. Countless rules, countless pressures, countless laws, countless religion. We carry it everywhere we go. And this morning, I wanna talk about when we carry it into our walk with the Lord. Now, most of us wouldn't say we are legalistic, but we feel the pressures We feel the rules. And here's the proposition this morning. Christianity, this is what God wants to tell us, guys. Christianity is not a superior religion. It's God's alternative to religion. You hear me? Christianity is not a better religion. Christianity is not religion. The surprising truth of the gospel is that when you look at all of the world, everyone's religious but Christians. Everyone has pressures and rules and laws and obligations and religion to abide to, at least they're supposed to abide to, but only Christians get get the call to come out under all of that pressure and finally be free in Christ. So today, you guys, God is calling us not to better religion, Christianity. He's calling us out of religion altogether and it's called the good life. It's called life with Jesus. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. Everyone got their Bible? Raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We wanna get you a Bible. Anyone need one? There's one hand, good. Cool, Romans chapter eight. If you remember guys, the context of this verse is Romans chapter seven, which we studied last week. And that's what we call the the cycle of condemnation. The cycle of condemnation is this. I've come to Jesus, so now I really want to please Jesus. I really want to live for God, but then I fall into sin. So I repent and I set out again, only to fall a few days later. So I dust myself off. I tell God how sorry I am. I salute the flag. I say, okay, I'm going to try it again, never again. And what? We fail. And we do that over and over and over for our entire Christian life. And it's called the cycle of condemnation. And I bet a lot of us feel that this morning. Again, it's probably why you came to church. I just want to try again, man. It's a new week. I want to try this again. And when you run that cycle enough times, you're going to just feel 
discouraged and defeated. That's the context of Romans chapter 8. And that's the context that the light of Romans 8.1 pierces through. Let's look at verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today I want us to look at four crucial differences between Christianity and religion. Now we studied verses 1 and 2 last week, but I want us to circle back here this morning because I think there's some crucial distinctions here. And I just want to lay my cards on the table, you guys, as I've been processing this myself, if I, as I've been preparing this message, I, I think a lot of us are Christian, but I think we have a ton of religion mixed in with our Christianity. Yeah? We got a ton of obligations, a ton of pressures, a ton of ideas of what we need to do to be Christian. And God wants to meet us in that place with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first crucial distinction between Christianity and religion is this. Point one, religion with religion, acceptance is the finish line. But with Christianity, acceptance is the starting place. So again, when I say religion this morning, I'm talking about formal religions, but I'm also talking about societal pressures and rules and expectations that you're supposed to abide with. So with religion, you guys, acceptance and approval is the finish line. So be a good Muslim and God will love you. Be a devout Jew and you will not go to hell. Much more mainstream, but every bit as rules-oriented. Do CrossFit and you can join the CrossFit community, right? Go to college and you will get accepted into the student body. Dress a certain way and you can then identify with whoever dresses like that also. In all of life, full acceptance, full approval are the goals that we strive toward, in relationships, right? We date and hopefully we get engaged. What is dating? It's simply working toward someone saying, I accept you for who you are. I approve of you. I love you. I want to spend my whole life with you. In all of life, full acceptance and approvals are the goals to strive for. This is just so good. But only in Christianity, they're the gifts you start with. If you're a Christian, there's literally nothing you can do to gain any more approval with that holy God we just sang to. You already have it in full. Someone say amen. How is that possible? We just sang like every song, God is holy, God is holy, God is holy. How do I have full acceptance and approval? Well, remember last week we studied it all centers on those last words in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If I said, tell me about the life of Jesus Christ, most of us would say something like this, dude, most epic life Ever. First, Jesus was born of a virgin. That's a pretty good start, right? Kind of setting, him apart, setting himself apart right away, 
getting born as a virgin. Then Jesus walks around. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's defeating demons. He was like the best teacher ever. He was a prophet. But most importantly, Jesus went to the cross where he paid for our sins and he died. But then he, but then he resurrected and he ascended into heaven. And that's all right. And it's true. And if I said, okay, when do you think God was most pleased with Jesus Christ? How would you answer that? When I've asked people, a lot of say, well, maybe the cross when he was sacrificing it all for his people. Maybe the resurrection when he defeated sin and Satan. Maybe the ascension. I mean, he's going up to heaven with. We say God was most pleased with Jesus with things at the end of Jesus's life because we are religious and we think we do things to gain God's approval But when you study the Gospels, we see God was pleased with Jesus before he did any of that. Matthew chapter 3. Before he cast out a single demon, before he healed a leper, before, before he raised the dead, before he went to the cross, when Jesus gets baptized, the heavens open up and God declares for everyone to hear, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. You see guys, Jesus's entire life was moving toward the cross, but it was coming out of God's full acceptance and approval. We know that, right? We all kind of nod our heads. Yep, yep, yep. I got that. Okay then this is what's so significant with those words in Christ. The significance behind those two words means that if you have faith in Christ, wherever Jesus was in God's sight, you were there too. And we talked about last week how that means on the cross. It wasn't just Christ there, in Christ, all of Christ's people were there. That's why you're free. And so if you are in Christ, when God says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, he's not just saying it over Jesus, he's saying it over you. And you haven't done a dang thing in Matthew chapter three. You aren't even born yet. And you have full acceptance, full approval True Christianity begins with the declaration that in Christ, God is pleased with you and you are as accepted today as if you had lived a million years of sinless perfection. You are as accepted today as God accepted Christ in Matthew chapter three for those who are in Christ. So with religion, acceptance is the finish line. With Christianity, it's the starting place. I know some of this is kind of a refresher, but hang with me. Let's look back at the verse. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now look at verse 2. Romans 8 verse 2, it says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul says that all of us who have been following the law of sin and death, see that at the end of verse two? What is that? First, what is that? Paul's talking about the old covenant. He's talking about religion. And here's the problem with religion. It leads to death. That's why it's called the law of sin 
and death. Religion says I'll earn God's approval, not by unmerited mercy, but by sin management and behavior modification. So I just need to start doing this. I just need to stop doing that. And then, then God will accept me and I'll experience life. The problem is what we saw in Romans 7 is none of us have the power to change ourselves. That's the whole point of Romans 7. If you say, I just need to start doing that. Well, you can't do it. And you have an entire life of empirical evidence that you can't do it. Or if you say, I just need to stop doing that. You can't do it. How many times are we going to play that game? Romans 7, the whole point is I don't have the power within Chris Osmus to stop doing the things I want to stop doing. And I don't have the power within Chris Osmus to start doing the things that I know I need to start doing. It's called the cycle of condemnation and death. And that brings us to another crucial difference between religion and true Christianity. Point two, religion says change will lead to life. Christianity says life will lead to change. Do you see that in in verse two? For the law of the spirit of life, that comes first, has set you free. There's the change. The spirit of life comes first and brings the freedom and the change. So I've taken a ton of personality tests and every single one of them, I always come back as something like, um, the achiever is the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or de- the, uh, the disc test, right? It's just, it, all it means is this, I'm super goal-oriented. So if I'm getting things done, if I'm accomplishing things, I feel really great about myself. If I'm not, I feel really horrible about myself. And that's how I approach life. But I share that because that's how most of us approach Christianity, we're goal-oriented. If we're, if we're seeing some accomplishments in our walk with the Lord, we feel great about ourselves. If we don't, <laughs> we don't. And you go, why do we think that? Because you guys, that's the religion of our day. That's the rules our society plays by. Go keto and you might start feeling good, right? Lose another 10 pounds, you might finally be happy. Once you graduate, once you make six figures, once you get a new job, after you move to a new place, maybe you just need some new shoes, right? Do something and then you will experience life. It's the air we breathe. It's the society we swim in. Life is just a little bit in front of me. It's just a little bit out ahead of me and real joy is there, real happiness is there. It's so close I can almost reach it and the way I reach it is by religion. The way I reach it is by doing the thing I think I need to do to get the joy, to get the life. And the problem is it's, it's a mirage. It's not there. You can never actually reach it. This is kind of dated, but I, just, I never get over it. Back in 2005, Tom Brady, the GOAT, was interviewed right after he won only like his third Super Bowl. And he said, quote, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is it. You've reached your goal, your dream, your life. But me, I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. What else is there for me? The interviewer asks, what's the answer? Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. 
Maybe that's why he's playing until he's like 50, right? He's just always out trying to get it. We, we all live like this, you guys. We all live like, I'm so close to this joy. I'm so close. I, I can almost get it. I just need to tweak this and then I can grab a hold of it. And that's the essence of religion. And if that's the essence of your walk with Jesus, you're religious. If you think you, you just gotta tweak a couple more things and then you've got it, you're in bondage to the law of sin and death. If you do this, you'll experience life. And God's saying, surprisingly, look at verse two. How does God give us life? How does God set us free? By revealing in verse two that life is not out in front of us. It's actually within us. And his name is the spirit of life. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God himself. So God replaces the best that you can do with the best that he can do himself. Only Christianity says life comes not by rules, but by grace. Not by coercion, but by gift. Not by ideals or potential, but by mercy, by a person, the Holy Spirit. And when you get that, then we actually change. You say, how? Well, verse four is gonna tell us how, but first let's look to verse three. Verse three, here's the new verse for this week. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Okay, so this is the first time we see the word flesh in Romans chapter eight. What's the flesh? Well, in Romans eight, the flesh is the opposite to the spirit. Remember how we said the spirit is the key word in Romans eight? It shows up more than any other chapter in the Bible. So it's the opposite of the flesh. And typically when you hear flesh, you think like nastiness, right? Lush, uh, uh, lust, passions. That's not what Paul means. He does mean that, but he also means just nice, everyday, well-meaning us. He's just talking about our natural born selves. Our natural born selves who are being held down by everything that comes natural. So just think in your life, what comes natural to you? For me, it's, well, fatigue, complacency, defeatism, excuses, smugness, sarcasm, cowardness, compromise, selfishness. I didn't need to get trained in any of that. All of that comes natural. It's because it's the flesh. Okay, so God says in verse three, hey, all the laws, the rules, the religion, you can't fulfill it. Vertical church, you can't fulfill the law. There was never anything wrong with God's law. The problem was with us. You could say it like this, religion didn't fail you, you failed religion. Because we discovered some point no amount of inspirational pep talks or New Year's resolutions or Christian books or accountability groups or three more principles there or five more steps in that sermon, none of that can make me fulfill the law. I mean, how many podcasts do we have to listen to y'all? You will never fulfill the law in the flesh. Have you figured that out yet? You'll never be able to fill fulfill the law. 
And the essence of religion is it just continues to flog the dead horse. Well, maybe one more sermon. Maybe if you read that article, you'll get there. Maybe if you read that new book or if you change that, if you change churches or, or finally join that group or here's a new app, maybe you should try that. That can help, right? Try this, try this, try this, try this. And God says in verse three, stop it. Sinners like us need more than a new method. We need a savior. That's where the tension rises. You should feel Romans 7. You should feel like, I can't do this anymore. And then you should feel, verse 3, I need someone else to do this for me. Here's grace, guys. This is gospel. Verse 3, hear it with fresh ears. For God has done what the law, what religion, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here's our next point. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Point three, religion focuses on what I should do. Christianity focuses on what God has done. I love this. The partnership between God's flawless and holy law and our flawed flesh was so broken that it didn't need to be adjusted and improved. It needed to be condemned and replaced. You see that in the verse? We were so bad at fulfilling the law that God just changed the subject from us to him. Look at verse three. God has done that's Christianity. That's true Christianity. True Christianity is not about what God demands from us. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. When it comes to our walk with the Lord, most of our discouragement and deadness and lack of joy simply comes to looking at ourselves too often and not looking at Jesus Christ enough. So I journal, I don't have a problem with journaling, but I was trained that, hey Chris, I was told at a youth camp, so get a journal and what really good Christians do is open that journal every morning and just answer the question, how do you feel, right? How do you feel? And I've been doing that for years. The problem is, how do I feel? Most of the time I don't feel super great. I'm Roman seven here, this is Roman seven. So I've done it again, I've failed again, so how do I feel? I feel demoralized and discouraged and depressed and God must hate my guts and this isn't working so well and how can I be a pastor and I guess it's my job now to try to get happy, right? That's Christianity. That's religion. True Christianity isn't about how do I feel about Christ, it's about how does Christ feel about me? That's Christianity. It's objective outside of Chris Osmus, God feeling about me. You see, religion always focuses on you. Christianity always puts the focus on Christ, the objective, glorified, risen Christ. And can I tell you something? How does Christ feel about you this morning? He's crazy about you. 
You know that? <laughs> I mean, like, in love, head over heels, in love with you. How? Because Christianity doesn't hinge on your record this last week, but on Christ's record this last week, and he was seated in holiness on your behalf. So what has he done? Let's see it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Another thing religion does is says God is far off and you need to move toward him. See the difference in verse three. That says you were far off and God has moved toward us by sending his own son in the, here's a really important word, you guys, circle likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. The word likeness, it's important. The whole gospel hangs on this word. He didn't come in sinful flesh. He came in the likeness. The eternal son of God, equal with the father in deity and power and glory, takes on flesh. He was truly human like us, and yet he was not identical with us. For all Jesus's life, he remains the sinless lamb of God. This is Hebrews 4.15. Jesus was tempted in every point, just like we and yet without sin. Why is that so important? Because see it at the end of verse three. He condemned sin. Whose sin? Come on, y'all. Ours. In the flesh. Whose flesh? That's right. His flesh. Our sin, his flesh. He condemned sin, mine, in the flesh, his we got to get that. That's called substitution. And it's why you can say there is no condemnation for me. Because Jesus was condemned for you at his cross. The holy wrath and the heavy weight of the law came down on Jesus. And hear me, was spent in full. So all of its punishments were inflicted on him. All of its fury spent on him. God's wrath toward you was completely wrung. So now, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So now the law, it still has some bark, but no bite. Jesus Christ declawed and defanged the law. Praise God. So here is where most Christians stop, right at this point. Hey guys, this is awesome. Jesus fulfilled the law, you're free, right? This is, this is great. You guys, we're free from the law. Go and enjoy your life and enjoy Jesus. That's where most people stop. But verse four comes. Paul does not stop here and this is the crucial thing for us to get this weekend. Verse four, why did Jesus come? He condemns sin in the flesh right here in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do you see it? Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. But the most important words here is at the very end, in 
us. Most people would say Jesus fulfilled the law for us. So you're good. He fulfilled the law for you. So no law anymore. Go live, enjoy your life. But verse four does not say that. Verse four says the law is still at work today. Make no mistake, vertical church. God wants you to fulfill the law. The question is, what law? What am I supposed to fulfill? And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse eight, I think we have a slide, this law. Wait for it. I like the, there it is. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I wonder where he got that. Jesus said something very similar. Matthew 22, I think, yeah. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, And with all of your mind, that is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Point four, religion is fulfilled by law. Christianity is fulfilled in love. So remember, the central question Romans 8 is answering is how do I change? How do you change? How do we get unstuck from the most habitual and repetitive failings and stumblings and fallings and sins? And the answer we see is not law, but love. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to just try to apply this in a pastorally sensitive way situation and um, we can just kind of work it out verse by verse and see how this actually looks in real time. So let's apply this to the use of porn. So if you don't struggle with porn, praise God. But in this room, eight out of 10 men do and one out of three women do. And so as I'm applying this passage to the struggle of pornography, if you don't struggle with that, just think about something that you do struggle with and see how this applies. So, how does the Holy Spirit change a man or woman, a Christian man or woman, who looks at porn? Well, first, we confess. So the flesh will lie to you and say it's not a big deal. Porn is a big deal. It abuses and degrades men and women. And when you take part in that darkness, you are sinning, you are embodying Romans chapter seven. You are proving once again that you do what you don't want to do and you don't do what you do want to do. And so the first thing we're, we're supposed to do in Romans chapter 8 is just be honest and confess. I am powerless to change myself. Once you're there, then the freedom song of Romans 8 verse 1 plays. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The second thing I would say is this, believe. God doesn't want you to beat yourself up. He wants you to believe the gospel. Some of us think God really wants us just to beat ourselves and flag ourselves. And God doesn't want that. 
He wants you to believe the gospel, believe that in Christ you are accepted by God. Not that you might be accepted by God. That's religion talking. Kill that. That you are right now in the struggle accepted by God. That's Christianity. Okay, so that's verse one. That was last week. Verse two. Look in in your Bible with me. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The third thing we would do then is choose life. Just admit that porn never delivers what it promises to do. It only brings death. It only brings guilt and shame and deceit and death. And so receive the spirit of life. Say to the Holy Spirit, I need you, Spirit, to set me free. I can't do this myself. Then, verse three, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Here's the crucial part, the crucial part you guys. We look to Christ. We go by faith to the cross where your lust was paid for and condemned and we look. We look at his naked flesh, cut and torn and bleeding. We look at the blood flowing from his body. We look at the sweat and the flies. We inhale the stench. We hear the mockery. We look into his eyes and see what your porn did to him. And we see that he doesn't hate you. He loves you there on the cross. And if you stand there, and if you stay there, and if you live there at the foot of the cross, soon porn will begin to disappear. It'll appear less attractive. Righteousness will appear more appealing. In the shadow of, your, of the cross, your lust will start dying more in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You guys, that's how we change. That's it right there. Not by external law, but by internal transformation, by love coming by the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the only way you will stop looking at pornography or stop doing the habitual sin that you cannot stop doing. The only way is by growing in love with Jesus. It's by having such a vibrant, dynamic relationship with Jesus where you're saying, this is so sweet. I don't want to give this up. I don't want to break this. I don't want to do anything that's going to get in between this. This is so good. And secondly, evidence of the Holy Spirit, we stop looking at porn by growing in love for others. The Holy Spirit would create a love for the person you're looking at on the screen where you're saying that, That's a real person. I'm not gonna degrade her like that. I'm not gonna look at her like that. Jesus made that body. Jesus died for that body. Jesus loves that body. And and so I love that body too. You see, we change not by outside pressure and coercion, but by internal transformation. So how do we end today? Romans verse four, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I just how love, I love how categorically Paul puts it again at the end. He says, he could have said, fulfill the law, 
by walking according to the spirit. Now, I, I wouldn't have thought anything's missing there, but notice he reemphasizes who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He wants everyone to know true Christianity excludes the religiosity of the flesh. Today, God has brought us to a crossroads vertical church. We can go down the road we've probably been on, Christianity mixed with religion and law keeping and obligation and do this so God will love me or freedom in Jesus Christ that transforms our hearts with love for God and love for others that all of a sudden you turn around and you're fulfilling the law and you didn't even try. Love stumbled you into fulfilling the law. So what's the good life? Last week, it's learning that I'm not condemned. That's the starting place. It's where we start. It's where we stand. It's where we stay. And this week, it's in Christ I get set free free to love God, free to love others, and free to fulfill the law. Let me invite Nick up, and I just want to end on one note that's been particularly helpful for me. I'm not a farmer, as you can tell. I've never had a horse. I had a pony once, but I've never had a horse. But I've, I've been told that if you put up a fence for horses, they're going to knock it down. Right? Those things can kick it over or jump over. Somehow they're going to knock that stinking fence down. Fences don't work that well. But I've also been told that if you put a big pile of red apples in the middle of a pasture, those horses are going to stay by the feast. So much of our lives have been just putting up fence after fence after fence after fence. Right? I'm going to do, put this up so I don't go there. I want to do this. I want to. And what Romans 8 this morning is saying is, guys, there's a big pile of red apples. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you feast on that every week, all week long, it's the air you breathe, it's the environment you swim in, that I'm not condemned, that God loves me, that I'm every bit as accepted and approved today as I ever could be or ever will be in Jesus Christ. You don't need the fence. Now, it's probably wise to have it there, but you will stay by the feast because the feast is always more appealing than the fence. Vertical Church, this is how the Holy Spirit makes you actually fulfill the law. What the law could not do is making you fulfill it. All you could do is break it. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by giving you a feast in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit so that you so grow in love with him and love for others that the, the sins that you're struggling with, the, the failures and fallings and habitual repetitive patterns of just disobedience will soon just stop tasting so sweet and will soon stop looking so appealing and attractive to your new eyes in the Holy Spirit and you will find yourself fulfilling the law.